0: What is up everyone? Welcome back to the Pretty Unfiltered podcast. It's your host Morgan Jones and I'm so excited we're spending time together today. Today is a really important episode to me. In fact, obviously I I don't know what's to come but this feels like probably the most important discussion that we might ever have together. So today's episode is going to be about mental health and I wanted to start this episode by thanking everyone who has either messaged me, texted me, dm'd me, letting me know their stories and their struggles and maybe how something in the podcast or something that I'm sharing on social media has been helpful to you to feel seen or you know that you're not ready to share your struggles with other people. I I truly value and appreciate you trusting to share your stuff with me and I'm so grateful for that. And in today's episode, I obviously kind of want to address that it's going to be a little bit of a heavier episode and I'm not sure if this needs like a content warning or a trigger warning of some sort, but we will be talking about some pretty heavy topics, some pretty serious topics in regard to mental health. So if that is not where you're at right now and you don't want to be in that mindset, then I am all for setting boundaries and I will catch you in the next episode. And I also want to say that I am not a medical professional. So anything that I am sharing obviously is not professional medical advice. I do want you to know, though, that because of everything that I've gone through with my physical health, as well as when I started writing the book, it's really important to me that I became knowledgeable about mental health. So I wanted to take it one step further when I was writing the book, not only to have science-backed tools for the book, but also in my own life. I have always been really fascinated by mental health to understand how things work, why we are the way we are And so I did go back to school. I wanted to get a master's in applied psychology. However, due to surgeries, that wasn't in the books. However, I was able to study cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety, depression, and personality disorders. So I have training and certifications in that. However, if I wanted to practice clinically, I would have had to have clinical hours. And I had no desire to become a therapist. I just basically wanted the knowledge of these science-backed tools and the understanding of why we are the way we are and what we can do to help ourselves, especially when it came to anxiety or depression. So just know that I do have a little bit of background in the knowledge of this stuff. However, I am not clinically a psychologist or a therapist, so this is not medical advice This is just someone who is interested in mental health and has done her best to truly understand the science behind all of it. And some of these tools that I want to share with you today are things that have radically changed my life. And I hope in some regard that if anything can resonate with you, it could just help in one little way. So let's get into the episode and let's start with the fact that this episode is about I'm just going to say it. Cussing, warning, the shitty days. This is about the hard stuff. This is going to be about the days where you're struggling to get out of bed and you just feel like a stranger to yourself. Um, If you can relate to that, then I know you know what I'm talking about. And if you can't, then I truly believe that probably someone in your life can I think that mental health affects us all in some capacity, whether it be ourself or others. But the thing about mental health is that we spend a lot of time as society being trained to pursue happiness and to have happiness be the goal. And if we're not happy, then something's wrong with us and we're broken. But no one really talks about the part where loss and hardship and grief are also a part of the journey. So we're so focused on this pursuit of happiness that I believe that we aren't equipped for how to handle grief and loss or depression or anxiety. And I think that that's where things become difficult. I think that one of the most important lessons that I ever learned was that while we're on the pursuit of happiness, that grief and sadness and loss and hardship and mental health issues can ultimately be on the same path in that same journey. It's not one or the other. It's not happiness or hardship. They're all a part of the same pursuit. They're all a part of the same evolution. It's all a part of becoming or unbecoming who we are from our past, who we want to be in our present, in the future. It's just once we can understand that it's not, you're either happy or you're depressed. You're either anxious or you're calm. Like there is a they coexist you know the the happy the smiles the laughter the joy coexists with the sadness the pain the tears the frustration and the sooner we can understand that and the sooner we could start to destigmatize the fact when people are low and people are suffering and the more we can normalize this and have conversations when people are not happy and everything's going well then i think the more normal it will become And we won't have to feel so much shame about sharing when things get hard in our lives. Because the reality is, is that positivity and humor and happiness are all a part of who I am. In fact, it's probably the most important parts of who I am. However, so are sadness, grief, pain, and loss. And so I could have done a deep dive in this episode about what I've been through. And, you know, I I went back and forth of whether or not I wanted to kind of get into... All the details of what I've experienced that has brought me to my knees or taken me to the darkest places. And I don't really think that that's the most effective use of our time together. I think that ultimately, in a nutshell, I have lost people that I loved dearly to cancer from a young age. I have lost people I love dearly to suicide. I have watched people that are the happiest people on this earth be the people that are addicted to substances and the the people that are making people smile are the ones that are suffering the most and you know when you can't control your health in the way that I'm unable to. I have lived with the fear and the depression and the anxiety that comes with feeling like a number in a healthcare system where You don't really seem to matter to anyone. So I could go on. However, I don't think that that, like I said, is the most effective way to spend our time together. I think that you either understand or you don't. You've either suffered to the darkest parts of your soul or you haven't. And, you know, if you haven't, that's wonderful. However, this episode is, I think, more so geared towards the people who have been to a place where you have felt like a stranger to yourself in your life, where you have felt like you are drowning, where your mental health has suffered so much, whether it be a chemical imbalance or an environmental cause or a a cause and effect, which meaning that it has happened by a situation specifically, um, whether that be traumatic or not. Ultimately, this conversation, I feel like I just want to have so that someone else can feel less alone, like we keep talking about in these episodes. So it's not the details of my own obstacles or my hardships, but rather the version of me that those have led to, what those experiences represent to me now. So what those dark times and many like it that have taught me over my lifetime, that's what I want to talk about today. And the lessons that have pulled me out of some of those darkest places, the mental shifts, the rewiring of the negative coping skills or, I don't know, counterproductive habits that I believe have truly saved my life. So while I could do an hour long episode on this, I did do a poll on my Instagram between whether or not you guys liked 30 minutes to an hour ish and I kind of got half and half. So I don't want this episode to drag on. So I think today I'll focus on like three main lessons. And I kind of had five, but I'll, as I'm going through this, I'll probably try to narrow it down to the three that I think are most important just so that I can use the, our time most effectively today. I just want you to know that no matter what you're going through right now, whether you're in a place where you can look back and you're kind of reflecting on stuff that you've gone through or whether you're currently deep in it, or whether you're in a place that you feel anxiety and depression or anything for the first time, I just want you to know that there are people that understand you. There are places that you can go for help. I will be putting resources in, I'll put them in the description box or whatever it's called of the podcast, the notes section, and maybe I'll even add it to the end of the episode, But there are places you can go. Do not give up. Do not feel alone. And uh, let's get into the three tips that I think are most helpful to me. And I hope that some of these help you as well. Okay, so let's start with happiness. Um, Obviously, I talked about that a little bit ago, but I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive. Because I really think that once I understood that bad days were allowed to happen and that life sucks sometimes and there could be no rhyme or reason for feeling down and it could be a chemical imbalance or even without a chemical imbalance you're allowed to have bad days you're allowed to not be happy all the time I think that once I understood that happiness wasn't a permanent state of being and that it didn't have to be I think that changed my life because I was always raised to be grateful and kind and joyful. But I think what happened is when I started to feel feelings that were outside of that, it led to kind of feelings of like guilt or shame. Like I was feeling things that I shouldn't be feeling, even though in hindsight, they were completely valid and the feelings of any feelings that I had were completely valid. So... let me just clarify, I don't think that it's wrong to want to be happy. However, I think that our current expectations and programming around happiness are in many ways kind of setting us up for feelings of unfulfillment. And it's like we signed this happiness contract the moment we were born kind of. And if we go outside of that, we're breaking the contract. When in reality, I think that it's important that we understand that even the happiest people that we know still have struggles with mental health issues. They still have addiction problems. They still have committed suicide and I'm sorry, but we have to go there because we can't just pretend that this isn't happening. Whether it be people that you know in your own life, whether it be celebrities, I mean, there's been plenty where you see that they have achieved this level of happiness that we've, we've been taught our whole lifetimes to try to obtain. And yet they still struggle, they still have this darkness and these battles that they're facing, some of which the battles win. And I truly believe that it's because we don't, we aren't equipped with tools to how to deal with it. We don't really talk about mental health at a larger scale and I believe with my whole heart that we need to start implementing mental health um, education into schools from a young age because I believe in many instances we can prevent certain outcomes. Okay. And I think that the more we talk about this, the more we normalize it the, in the same way that, you know, if, if you broke your leg and you would put a cast on it, or if you had a cold, you would take medicine or anything that was a physical ailment, we would have no guilt or shame about dealing with that in whatever way we needed to. Yet we're over here having these mental ailments and it's so taboo to talk about. And if someone has everything or someone is has a happy family or this and that, they're not allowed to be sad. Or if they've achieved this job, then they can't have anxiety. It's, it's just this wild counterproductive cycle that we've been forced into. And I think that the more we understand that happiness is not the end all be all or it's not, it doesn't have to be a daily thing that we're just overfilled with joy. We are humans. Our brain health is important and our brains function and fluctuate. And it's not you're never gonna be happy every single day. And yes, I said like I said before, you you can have happiness as the goal. You can strive to be happy, but we really have to talk about the times when we're not. And it's like we believe that when you achieve happiness, it's it's like this pinnacle of success or when you're happy, that's what leads to confidence and higher self-esteem. But from my own experience, I actually believe it's our mental health and our our self-esteem is largely shaped by how we handle the hardships. You know, not only the happiness, but the hardships. And I think that the sooner we can understand that happiness is actually a byproduct of the overcoming and the enduring and the resilience and the transformation that occurs when you're in the thick of it when you're when you're overcoming obstacles when you're doing the hard work that's required of you mentally physically spiritually however in the difficult times and i think that it's imperative to understand that the happiness can't exist without the hardship the dark can't the light can't exist without the dark so, you know, I don't know if our happiness contract has some like terms and agreements where they're just really small, like the medication commercials where there's a bunch of perks for the medicine, but then they just rattle off a bunch on the bottom. It's like that's the part the, the part of the happiness that's not talked about is the part that's being rattled off quickly at that commercial, which is that I believe that it takes far more work to overcome the hardships than it does to prepare for the happiness. I believe that that is the most important internal work is to how you handle the hardships and how you overcome the obstacles, because you can do all the things that society says is going to lead to happiness. You can have the wealth, you can have the materialistic things, you can have the family, you can have the love. But if you have ever dealt with mental health issues, if you've ever dealt with depression, Anxiety or suicidal ideations, you know that that's not enough because sometimes they don't even involve each other. So, yes, you could ha- have the best family, you could have the best support system, but sometimes your brain is tricking you into believing other things or your chemicals in your brain are lacking and you need to have a boost whether that be from medication whether you need to go to therapy whether you need to talk things out whether you need to try cognitive behavioral therapy and make behavioral changes there's just always work that needs to be done and to me that's what we should be discussing and that's what we should be teaching in schools because that's ultimately the foundation of how you can have more better days than hard days so i think that you know, this was just a long-winded way of saying that the first tip is to just know that life sucks sometimes, and that's okay. Happiness isn't the end-all be-all. It's okay to have bad days, and it's not only okay, but everybody's going to have them. So even the celebrities that you look up to, even the the people that you admire most and you want to live the exact same life that they're living, they feel hard days too. And so I think the sooner we accept that, the sooner we can kind of normalize that the hard days are just what they are. And then our goal should just be to have more good days than bad days, but not stay in the hard days if we can get out of them. And I think that that kind of brings me into you know concept or tip 1.5, let's say. I don't think it's a, a separate tip in its entirety. I think that it has to piggyback off of the concept that if we have this happiness contract, I believe we also have a hardship contract. I believe that we have expectations of what happiness is supposed to look like. And I believe that in the same token, we are taught and programmed into thinking what hardship is supposed to look like, as if there's one way that, you know, hardship, grief, loss, mental health issues should look. And I think it's really important to understand that. This is where we really have to focus on our own selves, our own programming. And that's the whole theme of the book that I wrote. Like we have to be in charge of our own programming because if we've been taught what happiness is supposed to look like and we've been taught what hardships are supposed to look like, but that's not what's accurate. And then it's constantly changing. It's quite literally setting us up for failure and you know we're taught since childhood that happiness shows up in laughter and smiles and jokes and positivity but that's the interesting part about this that's that's the irony because people living in the midst of hardship right now are still showing up with laughter and smiles and jokes and positivity I mean I'm walking proof of that so I can tell you a certainty that people that are going through hardships people that are devastated by depression or crippled by anxiety they can look exactly like the happy people they can walk around and be supportive and in many instances I feel like be the funniest people that we know so in my own personal life and my own personal experience with losing people to suicide and or even people battling addiction it is I want to say 90 percent of the time It's the most outgoing, the most kind, the most happy, the most smiley, the most funny humans that I know. And so I think that the quicker we can understand that, I don't know, like tear up the happiness contract, tear up the hardship contract, like we just need to focus on being humans and doing what's best for us, being around people that are best for us, getting help if we need to, seeking out assistance, being comfortable with asking for the support that we need, then that needs to be the goal because trying to fit into one of these boxes and you know you you're only looking depressed if you're crying and not getting out of your bed which in many cases that's absolutely true so when i have been depressed in the past getting out of bed felt like the most insurmountable task and you know if you've been there i know that you can relate but in the same way when i've been in the deepest parts of depression i've been on a stage talking to hundreds of women smiling and laughing and giving speeches and no one would have known which is why i believe that if we're having any contracts let's use the human contract the one that says like we're all in this together we all go through hardships we can have the tools we can talk about solutions and strategies because the more we talk about the fact that we're all in this that we all experience the hardship that we can all agree to show up unfiltered and show these other parts of our lives whether that be to show up more vulnerably, to to have deeper conversations, then that's the way we will actually become happier as a society as a whole, because we're able to work through these hardships and we have the tools and strategies to do so. So while this tip one and 1.5 was to basically imply that life sucks sometimes, I wanna be very clear that that suck is universal. Like we should never feel like we're in this alone. And there's going to be times where everything makes sense and nothing makes sense about how you're feeling. And, you know, there'll be good days and there'll be bad days. And you'll have leaps forward with your mental health and then you'll have setbacks. That's how life works. And we are taught that happiness is what connects us. But I actually believe that while that's true to an extent, I believe it's the pain, the sadness and the hardship that connects us on an even deeper level. So once we're able to normalize this duality of both the happiness and the hardships and we as a society come together to find ways to educate and increase the level of comfortability in the challenging times I think that's what the ga- that's the game changer for increasing self-esteem especially in young people that's the game changer by having people equipped so that when They feel like there's no other options. They know where to go for help. They know who to reach out to. They don't feel guilt or shame around that. And I don't know, once I rewired my programming around hardships to view them as just a part of being human and not uh, some consequence or byproduct of being broken or failing at being human, everything shifted for me because I finally stopped pushing away my struggles or hiding them and... I just kind of learned how to dive into them and feel them. And it was only in feeling them and experiencing them that I finally like reached out for help. And you can, you know, like I said earlier, I have been on medication for it. I have been off of medication for it. I have been to therapy for things. I have done behavioral therapy for things. So I think that no matter what, we can find ways to help ourselves if we just continue to have these conversations. And once you find ways to more successfully navigate the hard times, the more you have comfortability and confidence in yourself to overcome anything that comes your way. And I think that, you know, I learned about the beauty and the breakdown a long time ago. And let me tell you, it is not as pretty as that quote makes it sound. But I do feel that the more comfortable we get in the breakdown the more confident we become in ourselves. So that's kind of the gist of this first lesson or tip or however you want to call it. Let's get into the second one. It's going to be a little bit more science backed. So get, get your pen and paper too, if you're if you're sitting able to do so, because I'm going to try and describe a some form of a diagram but I'm going to use an analogy about a house but that's not how this would typically be explained but it's the best way I can think to kind of give a visual representation of this concept and this next concept truly radically changed my life so if you listen to anything listen to this part because I think that this is one of the most helpful tools to understand when it comes to any type of mental health struggles Okay, so we're going to get a little bit nerdy for a second, and I promise I won't get too sciency, but we need to kind of get the foundation for this concept before before I can kind of explain why it's so helpful. So this concept is called the window of tolerance, and it was coined and theorized by Dr. Daniel Siegel. And with this window of tolerance concept, It basically focuses on the fact that we have an optimal zone of emotions in which a person is able to function most effectively, function with the most normalcy. And that doesn't mean that when you're in this optimal zone, you're not having hard days, you're not having challenges or struggles. It just means that in this window of our emotions is where we function our best. And the whole concept is that by being able to identify your window of tolerance, this optimal zone, you're also then able to identify when you are kicked out of that zone, whether upward or downward. So the goal would be to work on building habits or coping skills or understanding how and where to seek help when you're kicked out of that zone. So it's a form of identifying kind of a self-regulation process. And to simplify it even more, I want to give this analogy that I was telling you about the house. Um, while the house is not the most optimal example of this, it's the best way that I can do it without showing you the actual horizontal layout of how this is supposed to look. So for the point of, you know, this podcast, I'm going to explain it in with this house analogy, but on Instagram, I'll go and I'll post the actual graphics so that you could see how this functions in a more linear way. So by understanding this window of tolerance, you understand that our nervous system has boundaries and that there's this zone that exists between those limits. So if there's two thresholds, one above us and one below us, let's use the house example. Let's say it's a one one story house, but there's an attic and there's a basement in this in this analogy. Just work with me here. So our optimal zone is that main level of the house. It's that place where we feel comfortable it's it's not always perfect that house gets a little bit messy but it's where we function our best it's where we feel safe it's where you know we know how to do our day-to-day lives now if we get kicked out of this house out of this comfortability this is our optimal zone our window of tolerance and we get kicked into the attic that's when we are kicked into instincts of survival like flight and fight that's where we're overthinking, we have anxiety, panic attacks, that's workaho- workaholics, that's perfectionists, that's where we are pushed out of this optimal zone and then we were, are focused into a hyperarousal state. Now, I want to be clear, it's like you're in this addict. it's stressful, it's overwhelming and then the polar opposite of that is that when we kick, get kicked down into the basement, So that's when you are kicked into hypoarousal states. So freeze and fawn. So depression, dissociation. That's when you have difficulty making decisions. That might be when you feel disconnected or isolated. So I hope I'm making it clear that the main house, the floor, is where you feel comfortable. And then when you get kicked out of the house and you go up into the attic... That's where stress, overwhelm, anxiety can come. And then if you get kicked below into this dark and gloomy basement, that's where depression, dissociation, and everything can come. Now, in an ideal world, we would have the habits and tools and strategies and healthy coping skills that we could utilize to keep us inside the main floor of the house. But that's what I was saying in the previous concept was that we're not really taught those things. And I think what's the most important idea overall of the window of tolerance is to understand that even if you're kicked out, whether that be into the attic of the more flight or fight, or if you're kicked down into the basement, which is the freeze and fawn response, I think that there's something really beautiful about understanding that the main level is right there. You just have to find whatever tools, strategies, coping skills, coping mechanisms work for you to get you back into that main part of the house. And I think before I understood this concept, when I was dealing with really, really deep depression and the days where it, it really felt like a struggle to do anything, it feels like that hope and that you'll feel normal again is just so far away. But I think when you understand that, it's actually just if you walk up the stairs from the gloomy basement to the main house. It's right there. You just have to find the tools that work for you to get up those stairs. And no, I want to make it very clear that that doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. In many cases, it is not. And like I said before, that could mean medications, that could mean therapy, talk therapy, behavioral therapy, that could mean a support system, whatever it is. But that's up to us to kind of work through and understand. And and the first step is to be able to identify when we're in the basement, when we're kicked out of our house, when we're kicked out of the window of tolerance into those lower states of emotions. Because once we know that we're there and we know that the house is just, just, we just have to get back up the staircase, then that's when we can work towards finding solutions and being able to more effectively handle and regulate our emotions. In the same way when something happens that kicks us upward into the attic where we have more feelings of flight or fight and you're in that more survival state and you have anxious thoughts or overwhelm when we are kicked out of our optimal zone and basically forced into that emergency response because our brain can't handle things anymore in a logical manner. When we're kicked up into that attic Where it just feels so overwhelming, so uncomfortable, so out of control, we have to figure out whatever it will take to get back down into the house. So we got to go back down the ladder or whatever it is that you use to get up into the attic. In the same way that when we're in the basement we have to get upwards, it's about identifying what it is that can bring us back down to that optimal zone. So... I know that this is kind of a very simplified way of understanding how our brains work, but I think that it's such an important concept to understand because once you understand that the capacity for these limits differ from person to person, but I think there's some type of hope that comes from understanding that the house is never too far away. You can always find tools. You can always find support or the help that you need to get back into the house, into that optimal zone, into that ideal normalcy of emotional regulation and function. I think that it's also important to mention that the size of your window of tolerance can also be affected by your upbringing, from trauma, from using negative coping skills, or how much time you've spent living in survival mode. So it's important to understand that we can actually shrink and expand that zone. When I say we shrink the optimal zone, examples would be an emotional trigger happens and we're knocked out of the optimal zone, whether that be upwards or down, up into the attic, down into the basement, and then we lean on negative coping mechanisms um, to regulate or cope or anything like that. We're actually shrinking that optimal zone because we're leaning on things that aren't actually regulating our emotions. They are just temporary solutions because all that's doing is numbing us temporarily. And then once the intended reward or the sensation of the coping mechanism wears off, whatever it is that we choose to do, then we actually not only don't regulate back into the house, but most often based on how things are chemically wired, we get knocked into the complete opposite emotional state or land right back exactly where we started after those that high wears off of whatever it is that we're using to cope. This is why that most of the time you can feel great while your body's receiving the dopamine response of the substance or action or whatever it is that you're choosing to utilize to try to regulate you. But after that passes, when you plummet, you go into a depressive state or you become even more frustrated or angry with yourself than you were before. And you know, I'm sure many of you can relate to that. I know that I can. So whether you're using alcohol, drugs, or I mean, even Netflix marathons to dissociate from reality, or even posting on social media to get that instant gratification, instant validation, just to kind of avoid feeling the emotions. Once all of that passes, once the rush of The good feelings, the good hormones, the good chemicals pass, it's actually going to force you right into the opposite state or where you were before. And then I think the kind of most scary thing about this is that the more we use these negative coping skills, the the more we just lean heavily on these types of coping skills, the smaller our window of tolerance becomes. And not only does it become small... But then eventually, instead of being able to regulate back into our optimal zone, we actually start passing that optimal zone altogether. So it's like we're in a video game and we're just jumping from the basement to the attic, the basement to the attic, the basement to the, the attic, back and forth, like ping pong with survival responses. And as someone who has lived in survival mode for sometimes years at a time unfortunately because of certain things that have happened in my life and things that have happened with my health I can tell you with certainty that when we're living in a constant state of survival mode the less we're making any form of conscious decisions because when we're living in this state of survival when we're going back and forth ping-ponging between the attic and the basement our brain is just making those choices out of instinct, out of habit, because we've, we're have we just bouncing back and forth rather than making any choices out of logic, because it's just doing whatever it can to get us to safety. And that's why it's going into those flight or fight responses. With that said, I want to make it very clear that as someone who has lived in flight or fight for a long time before, I want you to know that the opposite of what I'm describing is true as well. So the reverse of everything that I just said holds true as well. And I have done this for myself. I have put this to the test. I know that this works. This is science-backed concepts. This is not my own opinion. It's that if that holds true, that we can shrink our optimal zone. We can also expand our optimal zone in ways that you probably can't even fathom. Now I could break down this you know optimal zone expansion, but I think you basically get the point. So reverse everything in what I said before, and then it becomes abundantly clear why healthy coping skills are what keep us in our optimal zone more frequently. So the more we can effectively regulate our emotions and stay within our optimal zone, stay in the main part of the house, the more we're able to build better habits, better behaviors and routines and then our optimal zone expands we get a bigger house we get the mansion of our dreams (laughs) you know but the unfortunate reality is that most of us spend too much time living in that survival mode without having the tools to effectively help us regulate back into our house and with everything coming at us like a mile a minute where we have constant stimulus endless societal pressures and just incessant standards that are creating false illusions and ideals it's going to inevitably kick us out of our optimal zones like way more often than ever before which is why mental health is a bigger issue than ever before especially in young people but once you start to understand how all of this works at least for me once I knew that I just had to focus on doing whatever it took for me to personally get into that optimal zone to stay in my house as, as much and as frequently as possible, then that's when you're able to find the things that work for you. That's when your emotional agility improves. And you can think of that in a sense that your emotional agility is your ability to basically train your emotions and, use better tools or skills to strengthen your emotional stamina during the hard times during the challenges or if you have anxiety or if you have depression you start to learn how to regulate your own emotions back into the house back into the optimal zone so I know that this might have been too sciencey for some people but for me it was truly a game changer because once I understood that you know when I have panic attacks or anxiety attacks that the house is still so close and it's not so far away. It just reminds me that I have to just figure out whatever I can do to get me back into the house in the same way that when I'm depressed and there's nothing that feels like will ever get me out of this state of being, I just have to do whatever it takes to climb back up the stairs. And I think just having that hope alone, that understanding alone is really powerful because then you start to act and behave according to whatever it's going to take to expand your zone rather than to shrink it. And I I wanna be very clear, like I said before, this does not mean it's easy. I'm just providing tools to help you either change your perspective on some things or maybe seek help that works for you. And this is kind of what ties into my last concept, which is that the healing part of this the part of regulating back into your house is not going to look the same for everyone. Just as there's no one-size-fits-all approach to wellness, I want to make it extremely clear that just because I'm saying people can regulate back into their zone, it is not going to look the same way for everyone. Just like weights or certain nutrition or cardio, people have different genetic wirings. People have different DNA. Different things that play a role in what's going to help them most effectively. But it has to become our responsibility to advocate for ourselves, to fight for ourselves, to find the things that work for us mentally in the same way that we fight so hard for ourselves physically. And I believe that the sooner that we can prioritize our mental wellness as much as we prioritize our physical wellness, that's the game changer. That's the catalyst. That's the whole point of this conversation in general. So that's why I believe we need to start teaching mental health and coping skills and healthy coping mechanisms in schools. I believe we need to start equipping the young people with strategies and concepts that they can use in their daily lives so they don't get to the place where they're using as many negative coping skills because they understand how to regulate their emotions more effectively. Because once you're able to become aware of all how all of this works and once you're able to have more information and more understanding of your options to seek help whether like I've said many times there's no shame whether that be in medication talk therapy behavioral therapy sometimes these things are happening for different reasons in the same way that our physical health does so sometimes people gain or lose weight for certain reasons due to their health sometimes it has to do with the fact that whatever it is that they're eating sometimes it has to do with the fact that maybe their mobility differs that's the same thing when it comes to mental health so the cause and effect is always going to be different which means that the solution is going to be different So whether your mental health struggles come from a traumatic event, whether they come from a chemical imbalance. And let me tell you from experience that a chemical imbalance is a very, very serious thing. And I only realized how that concept worked in its entirety when I went on medications that completely altered my brain chemistry. I only realized it once I came off of it because I have been on certain medications, it's the steroids that I mentioned in the previous episode that have made me feel like a shell of the person I was. My behaviors were not the same. It, it genuinely went in and changed the way my brain was functioning. And that's not only caused by medications, that's caused by food we eat, that's caused by things we consume. Yes, even social media. So whatever we're consuming, all these things... From what we eat, to what we listen to, to what we watch and see, to what we even put out in the world and how we're getting a response back to that, they all play a role in our mental health. And so whether your mental health struggles are coming from a chemical imbalance, whether they're coming from a traumatic event, whether they're coming from an emotional issue from your childhood or something to do with your surroundings, there is always a way for you to find help. You are not alone in any of this, and no matter how you choose to help yourself, there should be no shame around that, and we need to be better about creating an environment where people feel comfortable asking for help, and like I said, I will put resources in the show notes of, you know, if you need to text somebody, if you need to call somebody, I will put those in the show notes so that if you ever need them, they're right there. But at the end of the day, I think what's most important to understand is that you're not in this alone. Developing healthy coping skills is an individual and personal process based on your current situation and how you're uniquely wired, which is why I can't tell you what's going to specifically work for you. So, this is the part of the lesson where now you have to take action. You have to take accountability and really advocate for yourself. Just like if I was a fitness trainer, I can help you. I can give you some tools, but ultimately the work is going to have to come from us as individuals. So I really hope that if this episode serves as nothing else, it can serve as maybe the thing that will inspire you to go take action, even if that is the smallest thing, you know, even if that's telling someone what you're going through. Even if that means you have to go for a walk that day, if that means seeking help, if that means talking to your doctor, like I hope you take the next step to do whatever it will take to get you back into your optimal zone because I know what it's like to be in a place where happiness and joy and normalcy feel so far away. And so even if you're in survival mode right now, I I just want you to know that it's, it's so close it's still so close. You can still get back into the house no matter what. And I want you to understand this is a quote from Matthew Haig, I think is how it's sent. And it says, mental health problems don't define who you are. They are something you experience. You walk in the rain and you feel the rain, but importantly, you are not the rain. And so, I hope that this just reminds you that no matter what you're going through, first and foremost, you're not alone. Secondly, there is help no matter what there is help. So don't choose a permanent solution to temporary emotions and just know that no matter what you're going through, that's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of your brain health. And in the same way that we would fight for our physical health, we just have to continue to fight for that mental health and know that There is hope. There is joy and happiness on the other side. And if you're listening to this episode and you are not in any way affected by mental health struggles, I hope that this can serve as a reminder to be kind to everybody. Because you don't know when it's the last straw. You don't know what they're holding on their plate that day. And I think that, I mean, even if we look at the celebrities that we've lost just because someone looks happy, just because someone looks like they have it all, never means that that's the ultimate truth. In fact, it rarely means anything at all. It just means that that's what they've chosen to show people. And when we lose people to mental health struggles, and I'm not going to apologize for getting deep right now, because I think that this is the problem. Because we live in a society where we... You know, live with these constant stimulus, constant judgments, constant seeking validations. We're tearing people apart. And then the same people that are doing all that are the ones that feel badly if someone has taken their life or they wonder why. And we just can't do that. We can't live in both worlds where you can be a part of the problem and then kind of wonder why things happened the way they did. So you don't lose people to mental health suddenly. You, you lose them slowly. It's an evolution. It's a process. It's when the conflict, when the sadness, when the challenges and anxiety and depression become too much. So we need to be better about being kind to everyone because as we're watching the suicides rates increase, we need to be talking about the solutions to that. As I said at the beginning of this episode, mental health affects us all. And so... You know, I wanted to do this episode for mental health awareness, whether you're in the actual challenges and the struggles or whether you have someone going through it yourself. I hope that something today can help start a conversation to move forward in a better direction. Um, I'm sorry that this is a little heavy at the end of this episode, but it is important and it is the foundation and belief of my work because I think that this is how we are going to save lives. So... I love you. I hope that no matter what you're going through, you keep going. And until next time, be kind to yourself and others. Love you. Bye.